So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Yep, and I got to make a confession, so let's get right to it. Um, so, you remember uh, probably sometime around like December, January, we were laboriously working on a programming calendar. You remember that? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. We have failed miserably to stick to the script. Like, yes, I don't even, first of all, here's the ill part. It's like, you know, trying to find that other match to your shoe when you moved into a new house and you'd like dumped all of your shoes in a box. And then, you know, you haven't pulled all of them out. You haven't arranged your closet, but you happen to move on like a Friday and you have a 6 p.m black tie affair that you have to get to, or you have some networking event that's extremely important for the job and you just can't find like that other shoe, that other cuff link. This, that's how I feel about our programming calendar. I don't know where the hell that joint is even on my computer. So, so not only have we not stuck to the script, I can't even pull the damn thing up to tell you how far off of the script we are, but we've not missed a beat. We've still managed to find something to talk about. And this yes. week is no different. Man, no. it's no different. There is no shortage of crazy in the king topic fodder in the world. And then, you know, we try to remind each and every one of you, we're not trying to be the most uh, academic of podcasts. We're not trying to put you to sleep by, you know, regurgitating a great deal of data you know, although the data is important, we don't want to be like some of the others that are out there and they do a fine job. We're not trying to cover the HR tech space. We are trying to cover how people are being human, how people can be better at being human. And we're using the channel, the swim lane of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging to do that. So we appreciate each and every one of you for being with us. We are blazing through the year of 2020. At some point, we'll say the year of 2020 that was. 
Uh, but I, I got to tell you, uh, nothing has changed. So shout out to our supporters and our sponsor over at Gusto. We appreciate you all ever so much. So before we get into this week's um, real meaty subject, Jay, I want to say, have you heard the term racecraft? No. Yeah. So I hadn't heard it either. And apparently, well, not apparently, the way that it is defined, that it is the tendency to position race, not racism, as the okay. cause of discrimination. Okay. So the tendency to position race, not racism, as the cause of discrimination. Tell, give me an example. So I'll give you an example, but before I do, let me just kind of put a strand on that. So, and, okay. and I love this racecraft phrase because we could we could put uh, this phrase together as it relates to uh, people on the LGBTQ spectrum. We could put this uh, phrase together when we reference people with disabilities. We could use this particular phrase when we're talking about any disenfranchised, uh, underserved, underrepresented um, group, if you will. And so the way of thinking about this, uh, an example might be um, when we we size up the infraction of police involved shooting. So when we talk about a police involved shooting and then we go into the description or we began to talk about the victim. We're talking about in centering the infraction on the victim. We're not talking about, and I'm not talking about just any police involved shooting. I'm talking about the ones that have caused us to, to have protests and uh, disturbance, if you will, in the street, instead of focusing on, instead of focusing on the racism or the act of the policeman, if you will. Okay. And certainly we'll give a couple of other examples. I didn't want to get into them real quick, but but racecraft is a way of thinking about inequality. It's being emblematic. It's a phrase coined by sociologist Karen E. Fields and historian Barbara J. Fields to describe the mental terrain and the pervasive beliefs about race and racism in America. So these two sociologists, well, I'm sorry, one sociologist and one historian, both of them named Fields, they've gotten together and they've sim- simply said, we must do a better job when we are talking about race and uh, interactions, if you will, infractions, if you will, we must do a much better job of centering the guilt, centering the uh, the negative aggression or aggressor in this versus the person who is aggrieved, aggressed. So a good example can be seen, and they give the example of Airbnb's introduction to something titled Project Lighthouse. Now, Project Lighthouse, for those of you who are out there uh, who are not familiar with Airbnb, it's it's a, a concept that they have on the platform where they are simply saying, we're not tolerating racism. Very similar to Uber's announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago where they said, if you support racism, delete our app. They didn't want racists using their app. And so Airbnb doesn't want to continue to have people who are racist as hosts on the Airbnb platform. That makes sense. Makes all the sense in the world. Correct. So Project Lighthouse, when they put up the messaging, apparently on the website, it says, 
uh, the company was deeply troubled by stories of travelers who were turned away by Airbnb hosts during the booking process because of the color of their skin. Ah. Were those guests really turned away because of their skin color or because the prospective hosts were racist? And so what the historian and the sociologist is saying, instead of Project Lighthouse or Airbnb, I'm sorry, instead of Airbnb framing it as in it's the person's skin color that causes the issue, we need to be talking about you are a racist and you should not be turning people away. That's the language that should be on the platform. We should be centering the ire. We should be centering our ire on the person who is causing the infraction. Does that make better sense? Maybe then my police article, I mean, example. Well, I I think that they both do. And I've been guilty of this. So it's like, I think of um, the Airbnb example as like, it's like a softening of the racism, right? It's, it's, focusing on the the victim and and turning our attention towards them instead of saying hey these racists who were hosts um they created this bad experience they are the the provocateurs of this conversation instead of softening the tone which really allows for an escapism of the offender in this case a, a white person presumably and in the police, I, I mean, I think that's even for in my brain even more clear now it, because I always I say right George Floyd was murdered by police because of the color of his skin or because he was a black man. Where really is George Floyd was murdered by racist police officers, and I I can say that confidently myself. But I, it it is it is the the flipping of the coin that you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a young lady who is uh, going to school. I believe she's going to school or she might even have her PhD. I think she's working on her PhD. Her name is Amber M. Hamilton. And she wrote a great piece uh, in the MIT Technology Review. And she goes on to say, Julie, that she found linguistic evidence of racecraft throughout 63 public facing documents that she collected. That included documents from Airbnb, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and others. All of these documents were issued between May 26, you just said George Floyd, Mm -hmm. between May 26th and June 24th, less than a month, just at a month. And in, in a moment marked by all of that racial injustice, the companies in that collection of documents were reluctant to even use the word race, regularly opting to use diversity instead. Okay. Diversity instead. She said in 63 statements, black people and communities were referenced yet. I'm sorry, were referenced 241 times while white people were referenced four. So let me let me say something and then give a little pushback on that statement a little bit. I think I just need to 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 clarify. So, for example, we Disability Solutions put out a statement. Um, I, as the executive director, put out a statement, and it, the 
the tagline, if we're just going to stick with the, the kind of headline here, was disabled lives stand with black lives. And as I see it now, that was it likely fits in as racecraft, where I could have said, and maybe the stronger statement would have been to say, disabled lives stand against racism. Is that kind of where where we're flowing through? Is would that have been a better statement? So I don't want to say better, uh, but hearing you say that, and you know, in full transparency, I had a chance to peek at you know the the statement that you put out, which I absolutely appreciate, and and if I read it again today, I'd still appreciate it. And so I don't know if it's a better statement or even a stronger statement, but I do believe that that might be the direction in which they are suggesting that we uh, make sure we center, we center the individuals who are really yeah. causing the pain, not the people who are, are being aggrieved. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, light bulbs are flowing for me, right? I mean, I'm always, I love this because we're always learning from each other. So this is a, a, a learning moment for me. Because the the other thing I I I think about just my place as I wrote this and reading about the times that Black people and communities were referenced versus white people, my other thought was like I really don't want to focus on white people at all. This is not about us; it's about the Black community, and I want to be very literal in what I'm saying. And so. I think, and I'm just talking out loud here on our podcast, um, that if I were to do it over with this information, which I'm, I'm not uh, unhappy with the statement we put out, I just want to always do it better next time, is we stand with the Black community, but we also recognize that this happened because of racism and we are anti-racist in our statement and making sure that the focus is is on our support of the community, but that we are squarely putting the causation, not on race, but the racists that do this. Um, and, and that, that harkens back as soon as you started talking to me about it, um, with the, the, the history of white people, the book that I, I read and I'm actually rereading this year about how everything that we know about the history of, of, Africans and and Black Americans as they came over in slavery is focused completely on slavery. We don't ever talk about white slavery, and that's a, a means of which to continue oppression. Um, and so, and I'm probably not saying that exactly right, but it is just a continuing way to evolve our language, and it is the nuance that we're getting to, I think, in our growth as as leaders to be able to say this is how you make that tweak that makes the statement that much more powerful well, is to really labor blame. Ab absolutely. And to your point, she says by so rarely naming whiteness, these statements normalize the ideas that white people are raceless and that only yes. those oppressed by the racial structure need have any interest in dismantling it. This language okay. also suggests that dismount dismantling racism doesn't require confronting those privileged by racism. So you're absolutely right. Okay. What she's saying is basically 
in these corporate documents, these statements, how we communicate, how we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, how we have all of these conversations. We've always said that language matters. And what this uh, individual, the, the sociologist, the historian, and the PhD candidate, what the three of them are saying is that we all can do better. Even in our doing better, we must do better because if we don't, we continue to give people an escape route. We continue to give them uh, a seat up in the bleachers so they don't have to be on the field in the game. Uh, we continue to provide them with that cover that I talk about so often. We provide them with operational cover and support, and, and we can't continue to do that. If, in fact, we're going to dismantle these systems of oppression, if we're going to uh, create avenues and gateways for people to come through in abundance and be able to show who they are and even be there, then we're going to have to have different conversations and racecraft. I don't know. Racecraft is a part of that. I, I thought it was an interesting, fine, loved that story. I promise you we're going to share uh, the the notes for that later in the show notes. Yeah, no, that's that was a great little lesson. So thanks for learning along with me. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what else do we have on our plate today? Yeah. So uh, real. So I'm going to skip this other story. I I'll make sure we put it out. Uh, we'll tweet it out. We'll put it on our Facebook page. But there was a great story that talks about black labor leaders are needed now more than ever. That's the, the title. Black labor leaders are needed now more than ever. It's over on the nation. I don't believe it's behind a paywall. So for those of you who are, are familiar with the nation, you can go to thenation.com and find the article. But it really talks about how that representation, that voice is necessary as we shape now. Forget the new normal as we shape right now, because right now is what it's going to look like for some time to come, for a very, very long time to come. We, we need to make sure we have some uh, black voices. So let's get to the point. Let's get to the good. And the good is um, our president dropped an executive order around banning critical or certain critical race theory trainings. Um, and for now, the executive order only deals with the federal government. He didn't put out anything that dealt with corporate America or the layer below that small business owners, entrepreneurship, just the federal layer. And it caused a bit of, uh, let's just say an uproar over the weekend. We'll, we'll get into some of what happened, but before we even talk about it, I, I want to read a statement from uh, the team over at Illyria. You know, I absolutely am fond of the work that they do. And in their newsletter, they talked about the, the executive order. And, and let me just read it in its entirety. It says, by now, you have likely heard about a recent memo from the pres from President Trump and his administration that prohibits trainings on critical race theory in federal agencies. This, of course, refers to all sorts of trainings that delve into white privilege, anti-racism, systemic bias and more. Specifically, the memo refers to these trainings as divisive, anti-American propaganda. This decision to keep such important conversations out of bodies that are specifically tasked with governing this country is unfortunate and wrong. Far from being divisive, 
cultural sensitivity trainings allow us to better understand each other, work together, and build empathy. To better understand why current systems leave so many communities behind is to uncover how we can make progress and move ourselves toward a more equitable world. We urge our community to see this as a reminder of just how important this work really is and to let it be fuel to keep having these conversations and working towards a better future. That is a message at the top of the newsletter from Team Illyria last week. What are your thoughts about the executive order? The president's executive order is what nearly every one of his executive orders are. It is poorly written, it is poorly researched, and it is based off of stories he heard on Fox News on September 2nd. This is dated September 4th. And on September 2nd, Fox News did a snippet, a segment, I guess is probably the best word, about a um, anti-racism training that had been um, contracted from a company out of the West Coast. From that, we get then this complete overload of um, calling critical race theory training, propaganda, anti-American, divisive. Um, it, it's, it's complete nonsense, but it matters. Because one, he has just empowered every racist that is working within the federal government and those outside of the federal government to echo this language. And it is one of the biggest failures that we have as a country that we fail, white people, fail to acknowledge our role in systemic racism, to acknowledge our benefit in systemic racism, and to acknowledge our history. And that's not, and I would say that's not just related to race, it's related to all diversity communities. We we do bad things, we say bad things, we have bad eras, and then we want to just say, oh, sorry, and walk away. Um, so and that's here. what that treats me. Sorry, I'm going to be on a rant like the whole rest oh, of the no, show. That's cool. That's cool. And I, <laughs> I love it. And I, but, but I think it's fair if we go back because there may be some listeners out there, especially if they're new to this work and or to our podcast, they may not be familiar with what critical race theory is. And so let me just try to give a less than 30 word definition of it. Okay. It is thought. And, and it's it's language that right now is largely largely formed and shaped from papers and, and 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 research and talks from the 70s, 80s. But there are many who say it goes back to even the 60s and perhaps uh, the 50s. Basically, what critical race theory says is that racism, bias built into every single institution system of this planet. Like all of the U.S., America um, was formed on racism. That's, that's the first leg of critical race theory. The second leg of that is that all white people are racist. Now, let me just say this to you. I have never been comfortable or ever even remotely believed that all white people are racist or that most white people are racist. 
And so I think it's fair for us to say that in doing this work for, you know, progress in the DNI space, there are a number of ways that we can get at this, what we would consider to be training in this instance, certification, training, or anything in between. There are okay. a number of ways for us to deliver this information. I'm sure you would agree with that. And I think some people do a far better job than others. I think some do a job of really building division, if you will. There may be, they, they may be negative uh, in their tone, their delivery, their example. Um, and, and I think that that's what he's getting at when, when he talks about critical race theory. I mean, are you really think that that he is competently um, educated enough about critical race theory to have that sort of nuanced Hell opinion? No. Hell, okay. No. Then don't give the man the pass. No, no, no. see, but it's not, it's not, it's not giving him a pass. So when you go back and you talk about the Fox News piece, I, I don't know okay. which one you're. You are referring to, but I'm thinking about a gentleman on Twitter by the name of Christopher F. Rufo, R-U-F-O, who was on with that asshole Tucker Carlson. And he is an individual who has spent a great deal of time since, at least from what I can see, um, the better part of this year, more so since George Floyd. And he's been evaluating and evaluating and evaluating the various trainings that have taken place. And so I know that he was on with Tucker Carlson. He delineated a, a number of examples, three to be exact, of, of, of agencies that took critical race theory training. And in one example, Julie, he gave the, he, I don't know if you saw the clip, but he said the people were told, all of the white people in the agency were told that they have to write a letter about their racism to their black colleagues. What? Like, why would you do that? Well, I, I would never come into your organization, Julie. I would never come into your org anyone's organization listening and do the work that I'm doing and say to you that you need to write a letter to all of your black employees or your black friends or the black people in your community or whatever. I would never say do that. That is a part of how that training was done. And I'm looking on his Twitter page. He's got other examples. And quite frankly, I think it's a bit, it's unfortunate because I, I want to give the people who are doing the training, the benefit of the doubt as well. I know where they're coming from. I got an idea of where they're coming from, but come on. When you, when you hear that example, you, you, you think, you think they were carrying pitchforks in, in Charlottesville. I mean, tiki torches in Charlottesville. What the hell you think they're going to be carrying now when you when you out telling people like right now I'm looking on this thing he's talking about West Point Military Academy is now require, requiring cadets to read critical race theory an introduction and a critical introduction to queer theory in one okay. of its leadership courses. Let me stop you. Got it. What you're doing right now is taking this person on Fox News which is not a regulated news channel, right? They are a certified entertainment channel and taking what he's saying at his word. So I, I think that, that I want to first step back and say there is a bias that is built in 
to that reporting, especially when he's a guest at with Tucker Carlson. And there is a group of white individuals in this country who are seeking to undermine the work and the progress that we're making by either potentially, let's say they're these they're absolutely true and 100% spot on, and they did ask them to write a letter of apology. Yeah. Um, by reporting that, but not reporting any of the good that came out of that training, or just just blanketly sending out facts that may not actually, or opinions that may not be facts. And that doesn't make sense. Statements that may not be facts. Yeah. So we're we're basing a whole lot of conversation on what they say in Fox News, which is exactly from what I I understand again is what drove out this EO. And so that gives I'm I'm glad because I didn't know that part. I'm glad we took that step back and said, okay, this is like it's been more in depth, I think, than I understood in terms of the Fox News reporting, but. If that came out on November or September 2nd and this EO came out on September 4th, there's not enough time to have investigated the reality. It is a a knee-jerk reaction by the part of the the White House and the administration based on some reporting that was uh, not reporting because that's not what it was, on a story that was told on Fox News by a guest who's regularly on Tucker Carlson, who is an overt racist, right? I mean, I, I just want to stop there for a second. That That's something that I think needs to be kind of identified here. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you one bit. Uh, I absolutely believe that Tucker Carlson is absolutely a racist. I believe that this person who is a writer, pseudo journalist, a member of uh, he's a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. There's a number of issues here. It's a complicated piece, but I will tell yeah. you, Julie, that I'm not only going by a clip. I really did spend some time looking through his twit, his tweets, looking at screenshots, looking at links to uh, articles, um, registrations, a, a variety okay. of different things. So here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And this is the part that Here's the part that's important for people to walk away with. Do I believe that that our president was genuine in his executive order? No. Let me read you the last paragraph. The last paragraph of the EO says the president and his administration are fully committed to be, I'm sorry, to the fair and and equal treatment of all individuals in the United States. I probably had it right when I said unequal. Mm The president has a proven track record of standing for those whose voice has long been ignored and who have failed to benefit from all our country has to offer. And he intends to continue to support all Americans, regardless of race, religion or creed. It's Mm -hmm. that last paragraph that I mean, it screams to me how disingenuous he is, because what he could have said in this executive order or what he could have said in subsequent briefings around this subject is, look, that angle of critical race theory, that component of critical race theory is something that I have an issue with. Fine. That's something that I don't believe that taxpayers should pay for. That's fine too. But the third and most important piece is, well, what 
What I do believe is that we should have diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging training, not only across the federal government, but across all of business. He didn't say that. And so what he did is what you said at the top is he seeded, he seeded that doubt. He seeded that discount. He seeded that avoidance, that departure from the importance of this work right here. And so, yes, I might say that I have a bit of an issue with the foundation of critical race theory, and I do. I absolutely have issue with our president not going as far as he needs to and being disingenuous both in this executive order and almost every other thing that he has done around disenfranchising underrepresented individuals. Yeah. So you posted an article from Forbes about said EO and I had to walk away from the conversations um, because there was a whole lot of white splaining going on and even a whole lot more white mansplaining going on um, in this in this conversation. And I will applaud you as I always do because you were incredibly patient and thoughtful in your responses. But <laughs> I don't I don't understand how any person on that thread that commented um affirmatively for the executive order or maybe I wouldn't say that they they posted that they didn't care for the Forbes article because Forbes was an opinion piece um and, and really gave some some shelter to Fox News and subsequently the the president because the the EO focused on critical race theory and I don't I don't quite understand understand how they got to that place and I don't really know how you kept that much patience to be honest. <laughs> Here's the deal, Julie. When 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 I hear the shells fall. Uh, when I uh, and I may not have said that clearly when I hear the vocal or the keyboard shells fall, then I fight. I shoot back. And so what I read were individuals that might have been reaching into their vocal chamber, uh, people who might have been strapping up their vocals or their keyboard. But they ain't really shoot no shot, you know, and, and what they what they gave to me was nothing that required that I. I, I had to fire back. I, I smile at one uh, of the responses on my Facebook post, and the person said that diversity and inclusion, and I'm paraphrasing it, is a burden on that black woman who's got oh, the Lord. job or that black person who's got the job because people are going to always look at them and say, the only reason you're here is because you're black. Well, that's the racecraft. <laughs> That that's what that is. And and so I smiled because I'm like, no, no, it's not a burden. It's not a burden if I'm the, the first person hired for the Supreme Court or or in baseball. Well, I mean, again, there is a bit of burden, but but I'm not going to be the one walking around saying that I'm here only because I'm I'm black. I'm here because I was an incredible Supreme Court judge. I'm here because I was an incredible baseball player. 
I'm nominated for my film Only One Night in Miami with Regina King Hall uh, because I'm an incredible producer, director. I'm here because I'm incredible. So so I don't have to I didn't have to load up my chamber because when, when I'm talking to people who are not on my level, I'm not getting ready to waste. I'm not going to waste my energy and I'm not going to go back and forth with a whole bunch of folks, Julie, because I don't have the time for it. I'm going to give you one bite at the apple. You might get two, maybe get slick and then I'll shut that shit down and you get real slick. I'll pick up the phone and I will call you. I have called a number of people behind the scenes. Yo, what's up? We can talk. We don't have to do all of this back and forth. Let's talk. Don't play. Let's talk. Let's talk. So I didn't mind being patient with them because they are, as Martin Luther King would say, you are conscientious, I mean, uh, conscientious stupidity or sincere (laughs) ignorance. One of the two. Conscientious stupidity. Conscientious stupidity or sincere ignorance. And so, you know, they fall in one of those categories and I didn't spend any time with them. So that that leads me to one question and one comment. Comment first. Um, I don't know anything that got said in the comments or anything that was in the EO or, or in the BBC News article that another <clears throat> poster uh, mentioned that changed my mind about what your comment was on Facebook that started the whole discussion. But you felt like it was necessary to say, hey, you know, like, I'm responsible for what I post. And you did it in a way that it acknowledged that there were people disagreeing with you, but that you weren't stepping back. Um, I, I don't know why, what, what happened that made you feel like that was something that was needed, I yeah, guess. So, yeah, absolutely. So I, I consider part of my platform is what we're doing here. You know, crazy mm-hmm. and king. This is part of my platform. And I want to be responsible because I have this platform. I have my Sirius XM platform. I speak an incredible amount. And so I want to try to use my platforms and or be seen as a responsible voice in doing challenging, difficult, uphill work. This is not easy work. This is not a conversation that people are running to. And so I want to be seen as when I'm invited, asked to participate, lead something, that this is a responsible and a trusted voice. And so what led to me doing a second post, both on Facebook and Twitter, was I read the executive order. When I originally put the post up, I had only read the Forbes article. I had not read the executive order. I didn't see, I only went with the headline. The headline says Trump bans diversity training claiming it's divisive. And so when I see that, and then you see that across a number of other articles, you would read it and say, it's DNI work. It's what we do. But it's not what we do. It's a slice of how we do what we do. There are, as I said, you know, a couple of moments ago, a number of ways for us to have this conversation. I get in white people's ass anytime I get on a fucking mic. 
and I tell them the truth, but I don't do it in a way that says, but all of you are guilty and you're racist. And, and so that's the reason why I said, I'm going to put up a second post because that's not something that I believe. And if if people are judging me according to the executive order, then I want to make sure that they know that I'm sep I've, I've separated myself from that strand of thinking. Okay. So that leads to my question. Okay. I, white person, have no problem saying that inherently most white people are racist and inherently white people benefit from a racist society. That is, even even when we don't mean to be racist, it is part of the way that we have been programmed for far too long and we have been programmed to not take action and not to raise our voices and not to do the right thing. And as a white person, we have to be cognitive of that every single day. And that's the only way that we're going to change as, as, a, as a group. But that was Not a comment. Probably. That wasn't a question. That was a comment. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the comment. I'm, oh, okay, I'm thinking out loud while we're talking. Okay, okay cool. <laughs> what is, uh, and Chad and I talk about this all the time. We feel that there is a, a place where white people need to call out other white people that is dramatically different than the way that you do it, for example, right? You are patient. You are, are very, you're very patient. And that's the word I'll use. And you are so kind when I don't think that you should need to be kind. Um, and, and that's a difference between you and I, but I want to come in with all barrels loaded. As a white person, is it just like, okay for me to come in all barrels loaded, maybe not on your feed, but on mine, um, uh, you know, on this, this conversation that we're having right now, where I'm saying something much more strongly about white people than, than you are. And that's how I feel. Is that a good place for our voices to be heard? I can't, I can't, I can't say that it's a good place. I'm, I'm going to categorize it and it's your place. We choose okay. to operate and move in a way that makes us comfortable. Malcolm X was not of the nonviolent concept. My, Malcolm X was not turned the other cheek. What did they yeah. do? They killed Malcolm X. Martin Luther killed King, Martin Luther King too. Martin Luther King was peaceful. He was kind. He was nonviolent. What did they do? They killed Martin Luther King. Right. So the question becomes, it's, it, for us, for me as a black man, we get judged no matter how we show up. But, but right. you already know the, the statements, angry black man, angry black woman. Have they mm-hmm. ever said or do they ever say angry white man? No. No. They don't, they don't say angry white woman. Well, when we're going through, through this, there's, there's the, 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 the layer and the nuance in this conversation is so, first of all, I'm not even equipped enough to really unpack it the way that it deserves to be unpacked. But the bottom line is, I think that people should show up for this work in a way that makes them comfortable, devoid of silence. That is the only thing that I cannot appreciate in this work. You cannot be mealy mouthed 
and silent in doing this work. You have to face the person or the issue, the action, the policy. You got to face that and speak truth to power. How you do that, whether it be a single shot, double shot, automatic, it doesn't <laughs> matter to me. You, we, we need a variety of different personalities in this equation. So I guess I'm just going to keep coming full auto. Please do. And uh, I'm going to enjoy my role in 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 that place. And as you should, as you should, things we can break. And I'm going to keep learning from you, and uh, maybe impart some patience every once in a while. So good discussion and unplanned, right? We we did not know how this pod was going to roll out. And I, my favorite conversations with you are the ones where they are just happening right there there's not that that plan in there of like this is where we want to get to it's just like let's just talk yeah um so thank you for that absolutely absolutely and that comes with time you know you and i have been doing it now for a little more than a year and a half and we are developing a bit of a rhythm that allows us to unfold and and really what i want is not just for you and i to enjoy the conversation and to grow and thank you for challenging me you know, I appreciate when you say, Torn, why'd you do that? Like, for real. And there were a number of people on my Facebook post that were like, well, why'd you do that? But this is why. And most people understand when I say why. But thank you for challenging me. And I, I, I encourage you to continue to challenge me. I'm never going to hang up on our pod and be like, she is fired. Because one, you the boss. I mean, crazy in the king. So like, I can't fire you. I mean, it's like we we get this thing in. Uh, so let's look quick mention. I, I want to give you all some resources. I, I found a great guide to allyship. Uh, it's an open source document. You can find it over guide to allyship dot com. Again, guide G U I D E to allyship dot com. And then I'm going to be moderating three incredible Ask Me Anything roundtables in partnership with Smart Recruiters, the first of which is next week, September 16th. Go to uh, smartrecruiters.com forward slash events, smartrecruiters.com forward slash events, or check my uh, LinkedIn page, my Twitter page, something. I'm going to have it up. and, And if you can't find it, just hit me with a message, an email, or a text, and I'll make sure I get you the link. But I want you to register and participate. The first uh, Ask Me Anything, Julie, real quick, is Ellen Kapoor. She's the Director of Talent and Leadership Development at ITW. Troy McIntosh, Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion at U.S. Cellular. And Danielle Corins, CHRO, Chief People Officer with a company called Sterling. Incredible individuals doing great work, people that you may not know of, unsung voices that are making things happen in their respective organizations. So join us, smartrecruiters.com forward slash event. Awesome. So name drops for this week. Um, I'll start. My name drop is Torn Ellis and Julie Sowash because actually just this week we were named to the TA Tech Top 100 talent acquisition thought leaders list. So thanks to the board over at TA Tech and whoever nominated us to be considered for that awesome list. And we are in really, really good company with this first 25 that rolled out this week. Yeah, um, I really appreciate that. I hadn't had a chance to see it, but I take your word for it. 
Uh, and so there we go. Uh, my shout out or my name drop goes to Andre Blackman, CEO of Onboard Health. You can find him on Twitter at Onboard Health again, Onboard Health, or you can find him on Twitter at Mind of Andre. He was listed to Fortune Magazine's 40 Under 40, and he is in great company uh, with some incredible individuals that are. Um, I guess 40 under 40. So that puts him as a millennial. Yep. Some incredible millennials making some things happen. So look, Julie and I went long today. It was absolutely well worth it. We would close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe to do, as I said a moment ago, to find your voice in the workplace. And I'll go beyond the workplace in your community. Be a better human. We really want you to be a better individual. Have an awesome rest of the week. Catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 this Sunday at 1 p.m. And for now, Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom. But do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.